Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to another Ask Andrew. In this, um, I hope for your sake, a little shorter version of Ask Andrew, I just want to offer a bit of a coda, C-O-D-A, to the, to the last couple on this concept of adequacy, in particular, um, the mind of Christ. And I, and I want to bring it down to the practical, you know, to the pragmatic, to the, to the, no, not the pragmatic, the practical, big difference. I want to bring it to the practical um, utility uh, practice of daily life as you're teaching a student and as you're living your life. Because after all, I don't believe that education has any value if it's only about education. I couldn't care less if a person succeeds in education if he can't turn around and succeed in life. So I want to give something of a coda summary, um, a practical application, a way to think about this concept of adequacy. And again, it's actually a technical term drawn, I think, from Aristotle through the Latin. I know that St. Thomas Aquinas developed it quite a bit. And it's the, the word in Latin is adequatio. And it seems as best as I can translate it, understand it, it's the idea of fitting to the task or sufficient for the task. And I think what one thing that you could probably notice without too much shock and, and, and wonder is that most of the tools that we use for the tasks of thinking in our day and age don't work. They aren't persuasive. They aren't, they aren't wise. They aren't, we aren't building a harmonious society that's moving together toward a, a glorious fulfillment of its dreams of what a man can be. And the single word that I think merits our attention is, is this word adequacy or adequatio, sufficiency to the task. And I want to propose that you use this word and you hold on to this word whenever you think about any issue. Whenever you think about any decision that you need to make, think of the term adequatio or adequacy. It's the idea of a tool, an instrument, an organ that is sufficient to the task at hand. What can scientific rationalism see? 
what is it adequate for? What can you understand using the tools of scientific rationalism? There, there is an answer. There's a positive answer to that, but it's not enough. What can, what can uh, aesthetic and ethical tools judge? And let me just say, without them, you know, the scientist would say, ah, oh, there's no such thing. We just use statistics and experience that, uh, through the senses. Well, if that's true, without tools for ethics and aesthetics, we're done. It, there's there's no solution to our problems because they're not scientific. What can metaphysical tools judge? Tools like dialectics, uh, cause and effect, deep logic. And what can the mind of Christ judge? Do we have an instrument sufficient to understand and judge the sort of decision we're trying to make. Now, you know, there's the, that's a big question, the sorts of decisions we're trying to make. But do we have, in our specific situation right at this moment, do we have, in whatever situation you're in, do you have a sufficient instrument to make the judgment that you need to make? This is where the, the um, words of St. Augustine become so important when he said, and, and I, I want to say I, I had a hard time with these words for a long time, but he said, crede or credo ut intelligam, which means I believe that I might understand. I believe so that I can understand. If I don't believe in anything but math and observation in natural science, then that's all I'll ever be able to perceive. That's all I'll ever be able to understand. If, if I don't believe in, in, in ethical principles, if I don't believe in the wisdom of the ages, if I don't believe in consciousness and self-awareness, then I'll never be able to make ethical decisions. If I don't believe in, in a metaphysical realm, if I don't believe in, in the four causes, for example, if I don't believe in um, truth itself as a knowable thing, as in, in a, if I don't believe in ideas, well, then I won't look for them. And the faculty of seeking them will atrophy, or depending where you live, it might even atrophy. If I don't believe in an ultimate harmony of all things, a principle that unites everything, then I won't seek it. And my mind will disintegrate. It's not a question of proof. It's a question at all four levels of faith. The scientist happens to have faith in science. There's no merit in that. He doesn't have faith in an ethical code. There's certainly no merit in that. He, he just ex closes his mind to it. When I say scientist, I mean the scientific materialist. I certainly don't mean every practicing scientist. That would be absolutely cruel to say that and untrue. We have a complex inner life and we relate to a complex outer reality and we relate to each other. And all of those things go so far beyond statistics and measurement. And we need tools adequate. And the goal or, or the tool, let me say it this way. I, I, I've come to conclude that the tool 
that holds it all together, interestingly, the tool that flows through all of it is the the instinct that we have, the axiomatic conviction that we have, the un... How did Budzyshevsky put it in his title? The things that we can't not know. The one thing we can't not know is that all is one, that there's a harmony in everything. And all of our existence, all of our experiences come together in that harmony. And what the mind is trying to do, and here we can say what the mind of Christ successfully does, is make sense of everything. It's an adequate task. So practically speaking, what we have to ask ourselves is, well, what kind of question am I asking? Is it, is it a measurable sensory problem that I can use scientific analysis to resolve? Is it a simple quantifiable? For example, in the last session, I talked about a bookkeeping question. That's just numbers, right? Can I get my balance sheet to, can I get my bank balance, my bank statement to balance? That's just numbers. But it also contains higher order questions, doesn't it? Like values and commitments and beliefs. Well, now we've gone beyond scientific rationalism into tradition and wisdom and even the mind of Christ. So we need we need a higher principle to get from one level to the next. And the question becomes not whether it's there, but whether we acknowledge it's there, whether we have faith in it. So how do we use adequatio, adequacy, as a tool? Well, Let's, let's say you're reading a book, an essay even. Let's say you're reading an essay and, 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 and you want, or a story will work because every story is turning on a decision. Okay, so, so the first, most of the first portion of a book leading up to the climax of the book is a debate between the person, the, the pro- protagonist, and the world that he lives in, the people around him. Um, the circumstances, debating with him and, and guiding him and leading him to make a decision. The climax of the story is his decision and the action that he takes on behalf of it. Shakespeare called that the necessary question. So what you want to do then, here's an example of how you can use adequacy as a tool for reading. You look at the process that that person goes through. You identify the question and you ask yourself, what tools does he use to answer that question? So I've been spending a lot of time with Hamlet lately, so I'll say Hamlet has to ask the question, uh, should I avenge my father by killing Claudius, the king? There's the issue. There's the necessary question. What tools does he use? Well, this is before the modern era, so he doesn't use a lot of statistics, but he does use a lot of testimony. He uses, he uses spies. He, he does everything available to him, he uses to collect information. One of his big dilemmas is, do I trust the ghost? In other words, is that an adequate tool for me to find truth? And then he comes up with another tool, the play, to test both his uncle, Claudius, and his dead father, Hamlet, and see what's true. See, see by means of a play... He's going to find truth. That's, his, that's the tool he's using. Interesting, isn't it? He also uses logic. He uses 
discussions with his friends, but but logic has been blown to the wind because of the fact that he's dealing with a ghost. So what kind of question is it? Should I avenge my father? Is this a spiritual question? Is this a traditional question? Is this a scientific question? Is this an ethical question? What kind of question is it? And what kind of tools is he using? Let's say it's a simple political question, whether I should kill my uncle Claudius. Okay, then all he would need, if it's a simple political question, all he would need is political tools, which is a complex toolbox, of course, but does he have adequate political tools? Do the tools, in fact, go beyond the level of the question? I mean, when you start bringing a ghost, you've got kind of spiritual, haven't you? The illustration might be so complex. Never use Hamlet to illustrate a point because it's always going to be complex. But consider, he's got a kind of question he's trying to answer, and he's got a kind of tool or, or kinds of tools that he's using to gather information to answer the question. Are the tools adequate to the task? What you want really is tools that go beyond the level of the question, ideally. If you're asking ethical questions, you really want spiritual tools. If you're asking scientific, rational questions, you need at least scientific, rational tools. But it's probably best to have ethical tools too because there might be limits on what you're allowed to be asking. So ideally, you want to go beyond. But the basic point, again, is what kind of question are you asking and what kind of tools do you have to answer it? And then ask, does the tool work? Now, an illustration of this would be in Aristotle's ethics, or maybe an explanation. In Aristotle's ethics, he begins by saying that to trust a mathematician well, well, to ask a mathematician to give you ethical information or rhetorical information is as foolish as to ask a rhetorician to speak with certainty and precision. Rhetoricians are dealing with the future. They're dealing with decisions. They're dealing with uncertainty. So they can't give you certainty. Mathematicians are dealing with certainties. And so that's what the, you should ask them for. Two different kinds of knowledge that rhetoric and ethics gives you. And... Aristotle wants to talk about, sorry, rhetoric and math. And Aristotle wants to talk about ethics. And he says, so what do I use? Do I use rhetoric or do I use math? And he's going to go beyond. He's going to say neither is adequate to the task. Now, what I want you to notice here is that he's just talked about the seven liberal arts. Math is the quadrivium. Rhetoric is the pinnacle of the trivium. And what Aristotle is saying is to make an ethical decision, I need all seven liberal arts, but they're not adequate. Now, notice, the fact that the tools you're using aren't adequate doesn't mean they're not necessary. Something can be necessary, but not sufficient. Now, what I'm arguing here then is, it's not just a question of how do I make this specific decision right now, and with this, with you know, what tools do I need to make this specific decision right now? It's how am I educating my child? What kind of decision am I equipping my child to make when he grows up? Am I equipping my child to get a job or to be a husband? To get a job or to be a wife? Am I equipping my child to be a parent? To be a statesman? 
uh, to be an artist? What am I equipping my child to be? Well, it'd be good if we could equip our children to be humans. The world needs humans. We are equipping our children for the journey of thought and action that we call life. They need the tools for the journey. They need adequate tools for the journey. And those tools involve at least two things, the ability to see reality and the habits that are required to live within reality and not fight against it. And I would contend that the perfect tools for that at the foundation are the seven liberating arts of truth, perception, and harmony. But they're not enough. You also need the mind of Christ. And that means you need to practice humility and repentance. And you need to study the tradition of the Holy Scriptures. Not just so you can know what they say, but so that the mind that is presented in them can transform your own. So, I'll end this whole little mini-series, if you like, on adequation, on adequatio, by saying that the mind of Christ is sufficient to the task that we are trying to live, which is the task of making wise judgments about everything in this world. But it's not because it gives us the content and the data that make up the tradition or even the pragmatic approach. It's because it gives us a wisdom that transcends wisdom. And it's rooted in the confession of ignorance and of sinfulness and of death to self. And it's rooted in that mind of Christ, again, that Philippians 2 expresses that we've got to imitate. And I believe it's also laid out for us beautifully in Philippians 4, 6 through 9, when Paul says to us, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. The mind of Christ is anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. And he goes on then in the context of prayer, supplication, and overcoming anxiety, telling us what to think about and then telling us to imitate, to attend to, to think about and to remember the things that matter most. They're adequate. What is true and just and noble, lovely and of good report, and the rest of the characteristics of Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Think on these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And may that God of peace remember you in his kingdom as you dwell in and develop the mind of Christ. 